Hello, and welcome to the Accidental Muralist Podcast. I was thinking this was going to be episode 30 because I calculated that I've been doing this now for two and a half years each month, one per month, but it's episode 27. I had forgotten that last year in the spring of 2021, I kind of took some time and stepped back to reassess what I was doing in my business, which is always a good idea. And I had substituted like how-to videos from YouTube that I had made um, for a couple of those months. So we're at episode 27. And you might be wondering, after all this little chit-chat, what I'm going to talk about today. I would like to discuss standing on your head. <laughs> Probably six or eight months ago, I mentioned in that in my morning... It's, it's disrespectful now to call it yoga practice because I'm doing a lot of things that would not be considering considered yoga when I'm on my mat in the morning. But nevertheless, I love it. There's a little bit of yoga involved. And one of, for some reason, a long time ago, I, I um, started doing headstands. And just for, at first, it was just kind of, for fun and I like balance poses like crow poses where you're on two crow is when you're on your two hands but your body is kind of in a tucked position knees on your elbows so you're very close to the ground it's a good starter balance like handstand type thing um, and I used I did gymnastics for all of my childhood as some of you know if you're longtime listeners or readers of my blog so being upside down is familiar, and yet I probably went, you know, through a couple of decades as an adult where I was not routinely going upside down. As most of us, when we become adults, we do that more quote-unquote mature thing of staying upright <laughs> because somehow, you know, we associate being upside down with what children do. Um, or animals, and um, we forget that we are also animals. So I started doing a headstand. It was probably prompted by maybe a video I watched or whatever. Um, and I used to actually not really enjoy headstands when I was a kid. There was a lot of pressure on your head and neck, and they just weren't that comfortable and I, they weren't like something you would ever do in a routine or, you know, it was something we would kind of do for practice, but it wasn't a useful thing and it wasn't something we spent much time with and I didn't really enjoy them because they were kind of uncomfortable. But the yoga way of doing a headstand makes more of a tripod, instead of your head being one of the three tripods and your two palms of your hands being the other two, it, the yoga way is more um, using your whole forearms, so putting your forearms flat on the ground in sort of a triangle position and your head is near where your hands meet. And so it's, it's spreading out a lot of the weight between your entire forearm, your elbows, your palms, and then some of the weight obviously is still on your head. But it so I started doing these and just, you know, getting used to being upside down again. And I had done handstands and cartwheels and stuff over the years because 
that's a whole other story, but I think it's still good for the body to take these positions. Um, but I think because I mentioned once in a blog post that I was doing hands, headstands, then something in me was like, well, you better actually keep doing them, like not just do them that one or those two times. So I started playing around more with headstands and um, sort of while I was up there, kind of staying up longer, splitting my legs in like a splits this with this leg forward and then with that leg forward and staying balanced the whole time, doing sort of a straddle. And then over time, maybe a month later, could have been even two months later, and I wasn't doing them every day, but maybe a couple times a week, I started um, doing it where I could bring my feet down to touch the ground in front of me, while, but in a very controlled way, instead of just kind of flopping down or stepping down, and then bring them back up. And anyway, I don't need to go into all the description, but I did recently show off for my two kids the other, you know, a couple weeks ago that I could do this because it's important for me to remind myself and to remind other people, including young people, that the body does not have to just go in this one direction of decomposition and falling apart. I'm actually doing things in my headstands now that requires strength and balance that I did not ever have as a kid when I was actively doing gymnastics, really because I didn't spend the time developing these skills. Um, I was doing other things that were more flashy and whatever, but it's, it's a good dose of self-confidence and Pride, I guess when I can see and this is these headstand explorations are not the first time this has happened but it's encouraging when I can see that with tiny amounts of daily effort I can learn skills with my body that either I didn't think I could do anymore that are more skilled than what I used to be able to do when I was ki a kid or just the idea that I can improve on things. And of course I am doing this all the time in flamenco and I, you know, if you've listened to me at all, I, I probably talked about flamenco here. I started dancing flamenco about four years ago. And so this is a new way of moving my body that I am constantly learning new techniques and new footwork patterns and things. So I have that way in my life that I am seeing my aging body learning new tricks um, and I really recommend to you if you haven't done that or if you're one of these people who was maybe athletic as a young person and now your life is more sedentary or you just do the treadmill at the gym or you know you're kind of in this exercise routine of sort of same old same old or moving your body in one way like maybe walking is your your main activity and sometimes you hike and but you know if and those are absolutely fantastic things to do but I I kind of encourage you to try moving your body in some way that you used to enjoy as a kid another thing so there's the moving upside down 
Um, but that's not really the main thing I wanted to say about being upside down. One thing I noticed, because when I'm doing this, I'm usually, sometimes I'm out on the back deck on my yoga mat, standing on my head. Most of the time I'm in my studio and I am facing a certain direction where when I, and I'm spending a little bit more time upside down. And so what I'm looking at when I am upside down is the bottom shelf of one of my bookshelves that has paints and supplies on the top few shelves and books like art books, sort of technique books, or I use them just for the pictures because I, I usually don't read instructions on like how art how-to books. I just want to get ideas from the pictures, but there's this whole shelf I have of books that I don't actually look at that often, but I like seeing them there and I pay more attention to them when I'm upside down. And I have, it has caused me to pull a couple of them off the shelf. One of them recently is about painting composition and you know, I'm actually learning things about how to make a stronger composition because I've been standing up on my head looking at this bookshelf and decided to pull one of those books off the shelf. So there are things to be gained from giving yourself a new perspective um, one kind of extreme way of doing that is standing on your head and literally seeing the world upside down. And then another thing, uh, we have a pretty thriving garden in the backyard at this time of year. It's August. And one of my favorite activities of each day, because they are coming fast and furious now, is picking green beans. And if you have picked green beans before or peas or something similar you might remember this experience of um, they're so camouflaged because they're the same color as the leaves and the vines that you can be staring you can see a bean in front of you that is ripe and ready to be picked that you could swear a second ago you were looking in that exact same spot and you didn't see it i also find that bending over and sort of, you know, turning upside down and looking up at the bean plants from different angles is also a great way to find things that I would have missed otherwise, just from standing up and looking at them straight on, or even from squatting down and looking from different angles. When I'm actually turning my head upside down, <laughs> I can find a lot of beans that I miss when I was just looking at them, you know, right side up. So it was just another way of thinking about perspective and how useful it is in very practical ways to physically move your body into positions where you're looking at things from a different angle. And then of course there is the uh, sort of theoretical application or the the psychological application of looking at things in different ways and one thing that it made me think of this morning so if you've heard some of the last episodes in these past six months there's this situation going on next door it's a house that burned down five years ago in 2017 a week after we'd moved in I'm not going to tell the whole story here because I've told the whole story in other episodes but things are happening now. The lot, after five years of sitting there with 
nature taking over and animals moving in and vines pretty much covering the building. Um, a, a small local developer purchased the property recently, a couple, maybe a month or two ago. And so now there's been some people clearing some of the brush because it's very overgrown. And today there are some surveyor topographical map maker people over there. Um, side note, they are having a problem because there's a bunch of yellow jackets and so they're they're having a hard time getting their work done because not only do they have to like take machetes and try to cut through the brush, but now they've found this nest of yellow jackets. But whenever there's anybody there or anybody, any neighbor or anyone whose ear I can have for a few minutes to talk about the property, I always put a plug in for the trees because there's these two, I would say they're probably still kind of juvenile dug fir trees. They're very tall. They're not super, super wide as far as Douglas firs get, but I need to research to see if I can estimate how old they are, but I would guess they're maybe a hundred years old. They could continue on if left to their own devices to be 500 years old, 600 years old if they're left alone. So that's my little project is to make sure, is to try to do what I can so that the trees can continue living out their life. So here's an interesting thing that happens when I talk to people about the trees, and this is not the first time this has come up. It came up with a neighbor I was talking to recently. So I was putting in my little plug for, you know, hoping that these trees will remain. And the guy, the topographical map maker, surveyor guy, um, said, yes, I understand, but also, and then he started telling me story after story after story of all these situations. He knew where a tree fell down and, you know, power went out. And during an ice storm last year, his house lost power and he was home with a toddler and an infant. and his grandma who was dying of cancer, they, you know, her house, there was a branch that fell on her tree. He had, he had a bunch of stories, as many of us do, about the danger of trees. So his point was, <clears throat> I hear what you're saying, and I also see the other side where trees can be hazardous. And I, I will um, acknowledge that yes, obviously that happens and trees have been known to come down on roofs and cars and people and that is a problem. But the perspective, because remember this is about different perspectives, <clears throat> as I was picking beans <laughs> after talking to him, I thought maybe the trees are not the problem maybe the problem is that humans have lost our understanding about trees and our knowledge about trees and our perception about what trees need and how to care for trees to prevent these tree disasters from happening. Also, maybe in urban areas where, you know, there's one tree left standing over here and one tree left standing over there and one tree over on that block or on that lot. It's easy for me to imagine now that we know more about the mycology, I think that's the right word, 
all the underground interconnected network of roots and fungi and everything that's going on under the ground that every time we as homeowners or developers or whoever cut down a tree and and dig it out and take it away we are breaking into that underground network of structure and of course we have weakened all of the trees in the process and their ability to communicate and connect with each other and have that strong interconnected um, support network so it doesn't take me much imagination to sort of picture that happening but also I was thinking more about our fear the the fear of these trees and what might happen it comes very quickly to our minds and it makes me think of a few things one is that um, I I acknowledge I've thought of that you know we ha when that house caught on fire my first thing I did was take a hose and start spraying in that area because I could see the the flames licking up into those trees that hang over both of both our house and the house next door that was on fire and so I was afraid of those trees catching fire and spreading the fire to our house so that is why I turned on the hose and just stood there spraying up towards the trees um, so I I know that fear of what dangers might be lurking and what the, what damage the trees could do but um, that's sort of a fear then there's the fear of like what about an ice storm and yes we've had those trees have actually lived through some crazy crazy ice storms that we've already had in the past couple years since we've lived here so they're doing pretty well but also you know our imaginations conjure up these what if what if what if situations this fear of the unknown dangers that these little pieces of nature or giant pieces of nature that we don't really understand what might they inflict on us and i get that but i also want to counter that with the very 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 certain known result if those trees are cut down here's what i am absolutely positive will happen <laughs> i won't have the shade of those trees to sit in on days when it's 100 degrees outside and our and those are inside the house will be even hotter than the you know if we're lucky it stays at 80 degrees inside or 85 or 90 um, but you know it will it will get hotter than that inside when we don't have the shade of those trees anymore so that's a that's a certainty um, it's absolutely certain that if the trees are cut down portland will have lost more of its tree canopy which is already a problem like these are things we know for absolute sure no question what if if we humans take down the trees yes we will be um preventing some hypothetical future maybe disaster but we will be causing a very certain rise in temperature in my immediate backyard and their immediate backyard we will be sucking you know sucking more moisture out of the air more moisture catchers um, that trees are we'll be removing them it will be hotter it will be drier we will have less shade we will not 
we will lose the bats and the birds that nest in those trees and all the other critters that love those trees. You know, we will destroy the homes of, I don't know, a million some little, including the tiniest of critters. So these are certain things that will happen, but it's funny how our minds, I guess, are so self-centered about our own property that, um, you know, we're willing to sacrifice the trees to prevent that someday situation in the future where, by the way, because of cutting down those trees, we have now made the weather more severe to increase the likelihood of, you know, these storms that we're afraid of. So it all is, is uh, circular and related. And another thing I was thinking about as I was picking beans and contemplating the conversation I had with this surveyor guy next door is this fear we have developed of nature because we don't always know how it's going to act is the bread and butter the the meat and potatoes of how capitalism especially extractive racialized industrialized capitalism what it absolutely depends on is that we are so afraid of nature that we are thankful that they will keep cutting down forests because what if there are wolves that lives there, live there? What if, you know, we're scared of bats and the bats might live in there, the bats have rabies and, you know, we're just like, we have so much fear of nature that it makes us, in many cases, actively thankful that there are giant corporations out there taming this scary thing that is nature so that it can't hurt us anymore. And um, that's the thing we need to wake up from <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a sentence because we're just playing into the hands of more excavation and more extraction. And nature is not the thing that we need to be afraid of. Perhaps the thing that we could have a little more fear, healthy fear of is the greed of, um, you know, the titans of capitalism and what they are calling progress, because that's gotten us where we are today in this world. So in my small way, what I've been trying to do is, and it makes me sound kind of cuckoo, and I know, you know, when I say it out loud, I'm always a little self-conscious because I know, I know how I would have heard it 10 years ago if I had heard somebody saying the things that I am now saying, I would have been thinking, hmm, that's pretty out there and, you know, a little fringe or uh, fill in the blank or descriptive labels that you want to put on it but I am trying to develop a relationship with the nature around me and I'm not talking about the touristy nature that you have to travel to go look at I'm talking about the what's growing in my garden the trees that I've been talking about the birds right now at the feeder I'm trying to pay attention and hear what they need from me so it, one example is the trees, these two dug fir trees that I have, am, is the whole um, subject of this conversation. Last fall, I noticed as I was sort of tuning into them a little bit more, that there was a tangled mess of ivy and actually dead ivy because we'd already cut the ivy at the base because 
maybe two years ago, we noticed they were starting to be choked with ivy. So we had already cut it. So there was dead ivy crying, uh, growing up the tree trunks. And there was all this weird like fencing material and wire stuff that was just wrapped around, kind of choking it and the trees and kind of also providing a trellis for other things to grow up the roots. So I spent a day that was actually really enjoyable and kind of tiring disentangling these trees from all the crap that was sort of choking them off and moving it out of the way, removing some of it completely. Some of it is still kind of stuck there because it's embedded in the in the trunk or in the roots underground and I couldn't move it and I I prob maybe if I had some bigger wire cutters or something I could get rid of it completely. Um, pulled out all the ivy got, and just to me it felt like I could hear the trees exhaling a sigh of relief and able to move and breathe a little more freely. That might be wishful thinking, whatever it is. I don't know, you know, I'm, I just, it felt good to do it. Um, I can't imagine that the trees loved having all that stuff choking their, the bottoms of their trunks. So it, it felt like something I could do that the trees were sort of asking for and not able to do themselves. With the garden, there's times where the plants seem super happy to be all tangled up in each other, where the tomatoes are falling into the raspberries and the beans are, you know, whatever. And, and there are other times where it seems like they would really thrive better if I propped them up a different way. Or Those are just some small examples of like trying to listen to see what I can do to help quote unquote nature because I don't think it's the case where nature needs humans to get completely out of the way. I think there are a lot of beneficial things that we can do not to tame nature, not to be the boss of nature, not to redirect nature and shape it according to our will, but to listen and participate so that we can thrive together because we are nature. And that's something I need to constantly remind myself, like how can I learn to communicate? How can I listen? Things, small things, and you can do this too in your yard, like picking the fruit, picking the vegetables, which sends the signal back to the plant. Like, I appreciate this. I am enjoying this produce that you are offering and I am grateful for it. And I would love it if you kept producing it because I, have seen that when plants are sort of neglected or nobody's picking the stuff, then they don't keep producing it. And my one of, maybe my first experience with this was in my old house in Oakland, which I lovingly still refer to as Dorothy's house on Monterey Boulevard. I didn't realize until I think it was the second winter living there that there was an orange tree in the backyard in the corner near the house, near the fence, in a place that I didn't walk to very often because it was kind of out of the way. And I noticed that there were some oranges on it that I hadn't noticed for maybe it was more than a year before. And so I started picking the oranges. They were absolutely delicious. It was this somehow, I don't still understand how it works, but it was a seedless like navel orange tree. I don't get that, but and it had the most delicious oranges on it. And so I, I started 
paying a lot of attention to this tree, which means, you know, I would pour gray water on it when I was doing the laundry or dishes or whatever, and I would and I would pick the fruit, and over the next years that I lived there, 12 years, it gave us the most delicious oranges, many of them, and um, we developed this relationship where I'm kind of thinking that when I first moved in, that there had been a few years where the person who lived there before me was not able, it was an elderly woman who was not well, and so I think that the orange tree probably sort of shut down for a while because nobody was there to pick the oranges. So I could be making that up. I, I can't prove it, but you know, that's how humans are. Like if, if nobody's, I know this as an artist, like if nobody's responding to the things that I am making, I pretty quickly want to shut those things down and stop putting energy in that direction. So I can only imagine that because we are also nature that, that nature could work that way too. So those are just some thoughts and ideas for today on getting a new perspective, standing on your head, bending over, looking up at the um, bean stalks. Also, I have to say with these pole beans, the whole story of Jack and the Beanstalk makes so much sense to me because we have put our tallest bamboo stakes like from the, actually from the yard next door some dead bamboo that are probably 10 feet tall. If we had 20 feet tall or 30 foot tall stakes, I think the beans would just keep growing. They've already grown to the top as high as they can go and now they're doubling back down because there's nowhere else to grow higher. So it's super easy for me to imagine an imagination that takes the bean stalks just up into the clouds because <laughs> I'm seeing it. It's amazing how how they want to grow. Um, that was just a side note. So find all the ways that you are nature, not that you appreciate and admire and love nature. Yes, do that too, but how can you listen to and talk to and communicate with and be in some kind of symbiotic relationship with the living world around us because we are that world. We are all the same thing. Thanks for listening. And I will catch you next time on the Accidental Muralist podcast. Let's see what's going on around here. I'm still teaching classes periodically, more or less every other month at the Rebuilding Center in Portland, um, teaching creative reuse there, mostly mosaic. The mosaic classes have been popular. Um, we're also sometimes doing found object jewelry or found object mosaics. Probably need a better name to market those, so I'm working on it. If you have a better idea, you can let me know. Because um, those classes have been super fun, but are not filling up as, as well. And then I will be teaching art journaling this fall at Portland Community College and am shocked. I'm pretty sure that the class filled up already because I've gotten two emails from students wanting to be on a wait list. So that is shocking because I think it filled in about three days. So I'm feeling both humbled and I don't know how that happened. I'm thinking about starting up the doodling lunatics again, although that was one of the things kind of like I said with the plants where I wasn't totally feeling like it was being picked up by people 
yeah, I'm thinking about how to redo that so that it works for more people or feels accessible. I like doodling with other people and getting people to just feel more comfortable moving their pen across the paper, feeling less judgy towards themselves, um, less embarrassed with their own ideas and their own expressions because we all could use a little bit more encouragement that way. So um, you can always see what's going on when you go to allhandsart.com. The best, best, best way to keep up with what's happening around here is to join my email list, uh, which you can also find at allhandsart.com. And I won't pester you too much in your inbox, but I'll just send you some little loving reminders like this one of how we can live more wholeheartedly and create beauty and use our imaginations in the world. So thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time.